Hey everyone, welcome to Enabling Digital with Sisters Plus podcast series. Today we have a very exciting speaker. We'll be talking all about the industry. It's a super exciting uh, discussion, and I'm really looking forward to talking to Rahul Sanghi. He is uh, he's extremely well versed in this area. But before we dive into it, uh, Rahul, I would love uh, to hear uh, a little bit of your background, and then so people understand. Uh, you know, where you've been, what you're doing, et cetera. And then we can dive into the uh, details. Okay, awesome. Thanks, Apan, and thank you guys for having me. Um, so I've been in this space for uh, a few years now. Um, I sort of got interested first in Bitcoin back in 2015 um, and sort of went down the rabbit hole then and never came back out. Um, I was working as a consultant at KPMG in London at the time. And it just so happened to be the case that the sort of broader tech landscape was uh, fully fueling the blockchain, not Bitcoin narrative, or the idea that enterprise blockchain solutions would be the sort of real use case that unlocks the potential of uh, blockchain technology, as opposed to sort of maybe uh, quote unquote speculative crypto assets. Uh, so I got interested in the space back then, spent a few years sort of helping our big clients understand uh, what a blockchain was, um, how uh, they, their systems could potentially be re-architected uh, with the blockchain at the center, or uh, just in general, where uh, or how they should sort of incorporate uh, this sort of piece of data into their future planning. Um, I did that for a few years back to India in 2018 to join Coinex, which at the time was India's largest cryptocurrency exchange as their sort of head of business and strategy. Um, and obviously, if you've been paying attention to this space, you know that in 2018, the sort of government of India was even more antagonistic to crypto than it is now. So we unfortunately had to pivot out of that business and set up a, a B2B SaaS company called Flowbiz that I left in uh, May of 2020. Um, I, I did a sort of one year stint at Visa, helping to lead their FinTech practice in India. And uh, I'm now sort of uh, trying to convert or trying to uh, use my newsletter as the first step to building a much larger media ecosystem. Um, and I've spent the last uh, couple of years uh, going deep into NFTs and trying to sort of unpack what is hype and what is not where uh, this sort of exciting world of Web3 and crypto is concerned. So uh, I don't know, it's a slightly longish background, but I hope that uh, gives you an idea. No, it's awesome. As, uh, actually, it's fantastic. Um, I wish I could have you on my team, to be honest. And uh, everyone who's listening, please check out his uh, blog uh, at uh, Tiger Feathers. It's, it's really informative. Um, so uh, Rahul, you touched on a bunch of uh, uh, words, blockchain, crypto, uh, et cetera. Uh, I think um, those are all aspects or uh, enablers to, oh, sorry, uh, the Web3 is enablers to, uh, to, to these things. But before we even uh, sort of get to some of the details, what is the Web3 all about? I mean, people just throw, have been throwing the word around a lot lately, um, you know, uh, so help us understand that a little bit more. And, and also, what is the role that the metaverse has to play within it? Because I think people have been talking about as though metaverse is the Web3, but that's not quite it, correct? Sure. So yes, that, that's completely fair. And unfortunately, this, uh, this entire space uh, just loves its jargon way too much for, for my liking. And we tend to confuse uh, people on the outside or people who want to get involved. Um, so quite simply, uh, Web3 is the sort of umbrella term for the next iteration of the internet. Um, and over the last, say, 12, 18 months, it's become the sort of de facto term to describe this entire universe 
of crypto and blockchain technology and how that will play a role in sort of re-architecting the internet using or replacing central databases with uh, public blockchain platforms, which essentially function as uh, public globally distributed databases. Uh, so when you say the metaverse, um, again, uh, that term has, uh, there's no sort of textbook definition. The term actually traces back its origins to um, a fantastic sci-fi novel called Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson in the 90s, um, where the sort of simple explainer is that the metaverse represents next-gen social media. So instead of our 2D news feeds, the idea is that we will replace that sort of static uh, UI with a much richer 3D interface <clears throat> where um, our internet, so a social activity on the internet almost resembles that of an online game where we're actually sort of uh, interacting with people in a 3D setting, ideally with 3D uh, hardware. Um, and essentially that's the way we interact with each other online. Now the promise or the hope from at least the crypto, uh, the crypto enthusiasts is that this metaverse will correct some of the missteps we've made with the last 10 to 15 years of the internet, where we've largely ceded all power to central companies and large internet giants like Facebook, Twitter, Amazon, who, are, are, who represent the first port of call for the web in many ways. So uh, they represent the starting point for most internet users. And they've done such a great job of building network effects that we happily volunteer our personal data in exchange for using these services often for free, unaware that our data is being used and harvested to serve the interests of advertisers. So the hope is that this Web3 world will be built on more equitable ground on top of public blockchain platforms or public databases that no one really owns. And that's the main difference between Web2 and Web3 is that the data layer of the internet is not owned by a central party, which poses all sorts of interesting questions about where value in this new domain will actually uh, sort of per percolate towards. I don't know if that was too much jargon or if that, uh, oh, if that made sense. That's perfect, it's perfect. But I imagine that uh, Facebook, Google, et cetera, will still have a role to play, a significant role to play um, in the Web3. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, You've seen, say, six months ago uh, that Facebook or Meta, I mean, again, like the name should suggest, uh, they've seen the writing on the wall. And I think, at least for me, it's important to uh, contextualize the entire crypto wave from the larger social context. So in terms of uh, a reducing trust in institutions or a desire for greater individual privacy, a desire for data ownership or control over one's data. Um, and so I think these larger companies are seeing where that consumer trend is going. Again, it may not be that the 100% of the internet user base is uh, sort of hip to the new agenda, but there are a certain number of users who desire a better standard of service from our internet, internet overlords, essentially. So to your question, of course, um, all of these larger companies aren't just going to cede this territory to newcomers or to uh, this new paradigm without a fight. So you've seen Facebook, for example, uh, one changes name to Meta, indicating mm -hmm. that they see where this story is, is going. Um, the difference is that um, because of their, I guess, Web2 DNA, if you want to call it, they do still have the same hopes of controlling the entire user experience 
of uh, maintaining high switching costs for users. So what right. that means is um, if you were logging into Facebook or Facebook's metaverse in this instance, you still maybe need to use your Facebook credentials, your Facebook username and password to log in, which means that they still have um, control over your data or a view in your data uh, in, in most cases without your consent and can do whatever they want with that. So all of these Web2 companies are largely data companies and I made their business models on the back of being able to convince users to volunteer their personal data. So um, although you will see the old internet giants um, experimenting with these new platforms, or experimenting with these new design um, contexts, uh, I still think that unless we embrace the of Web3, which means that a certain amount of your uh, absolute control over the um, consumer experience, um, you might eventually lose out to more decentralized players. If that's the way, if the decentralized um, startups can offer a UX and a UI that is at par with what we become accustomed to. So you touched on a very interesting point. Uh, I mean, in the last five years, everybody has been sort of doubting the fact that data is the next uh, oil. Right, um, mm. and as you sort of uh, rightly alluded to, uh, people like Facebook, Google, etc., they pretty much own uh, pretty, uh, everything that we do know, and, and probably more than that. So, do you envision that um, as we get into the Web three uh, over the next couple of years, uh, that and, and through that decentralization process, um, we will sort of start getting more control of our data or, or, and therefore these companies will sort of become a little bit less powerful and therefore the currency that they sort of hold over us or the valuation that they hold over us uh, diminish or, or, or that, is that not the case? So I, I think it's a very fair question and I don't claim to have uh, sort of, I don't claim to know what, how exactly this will all play out just because of how sensitive the position of crypto is within the broader or macroeconomic landscape. Uh, the fact is that we are dealing, or at least the, the origins of crypto are, uh, or go trace back to Bitcoin, which was intended to be a decentralized money. And that uh, right off the bat is a scary proposition for sovereign governments to consider. And mm -hmm. as that same uh, ethos has expanded to the wider tech spectrum or the wider tech ecosystem where um, we started to work on use cases beyond decentralized money. Those same sort of regulatory challenges, if you want to call them that, will have or will have a bearing on the ultimate success or the importance of um, Web3 within the broader <laughs> internet landscape as well. But <clears throat> you made a point about control over one's data. I think that ultimately comes back to control over one's identity. And the main difference between Web 2 and Web 3 is that your identity and your entire sort of internet experience starts with your crypto wallet. So that becomes the new sort of atomic unit of the internet. That's how you present yourself online. It's not by your username and password. It's rather by what you own in your wallet. So whether that's NFTs or fungible pins or currencies, um, whether that's a, a domain name on the Ethereum blockchain that uniquely corresponds to you. So uh, it's 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 a um, that's the biggest flip from my perspective is instead of using centralized credentials that are ultimately owned by a tech company, you're using a wallet and a private as your username and password, which uniquely belong to you, which you have unique ownership and control over. 
And then it becomes, okay, what does that mean for the rest of the internet in that case? So um, if, if you're not recognizing users by their data trail, then how do you sort of offer services or what kind of new services can you offer users um, based on the fact that you now recognize them by their wallets or their uh, public addresses as opposed to a username and password in the old world? So actually, uh, it's a very interesting point you raised. But before I get to that, um, can you dumb down crypto for us? Because most people think crypto means Bitcoin, but it's obviously a, it's definitely a lot more than that. So if you could just, uh, you know, give us a, a one minute or two minute primer on what crypto is and what, what, what it represents and means. Sure. So um, when I think when people say crypto, they tend to mean the entire ecosystem of um, technology, ecosystem of crypto assets and blockchain technologies. And that makes up or that means it includes Bitcoin itself. Uh, it includes uh, public blockchain platforms that are essentially sort of general purpose computing platforms that you can create uh, decentralized applications on top of. So uh, like I sort of mentioned before, and I'm sure some of your users are aware that uh, instead of these, instead of databases managed by Facebook or Twitter, these databases are distributed across a number of computers that are running this open source software. And a crypto token is just a unit represents some value online. So whether that value is um, uh, a sort of a currency, uh, a unit of a currency within the context of a monetary system, whether that, whether that token represents a part of digital land, whether it represents a digital collectible. So it's almost like these versatile units of software that can be used to represent different things in the context of uh, different networks. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So then how do businesses, um, especially retail, retailers, need to start thinking about the Web3? Again, so, so it comes back to the wallet. That's the, the sort of starting point um, because for retailers and for brands, at least in the last year, that has meant um, experiments with NFTs. Like I'm sure a lot of your listeners, and I'm sure you've seen as well, um, almost every sort of major brand in the world has tried to experiment with NFTs, which are uh, in essence, a way to represent a unique digital good or to be sort of technically specific, it's a certificate for a unique uh, digital asset. Uh, it's a way to record the existence of a file on a blockchain. So that file itself can represent any media. It can represent uh, a picture of uh, a pixelated ape. It can represent a video, a song, um, a ticket to a concert. Um, an item in a video game. So um, NFTs are these sort of, uh, or non-fungible tokens are these unique digital goods that have, in my opinion, and of course, lots of other people's opinions, uh, expanded this sort of uh, canvas for digital commerce and digital creativity. So what we've seen in a, on a practical perspective in the last 12 months is many brands uh, start to offer digital goods to their customers. And because these, these goods are, in essence, programmable cryptographic tokens, it means they can come with certain properties and functionalities that we weren't able to do uh, before or that we weren't able to offer before. So for example, Gucci can offer you a digital handbag that you can purchase for whatever reason that also doubles as your ticket to enter a real live event, or it doubles as your entry pass to attend um, an online, say, one-on-one -on -one session with a famous designer. So 
for retailers, um, these tokens represent uh, a, a different canvas on which to conduct digital commerce. And obviously because they are digital, you do away with a lot of the supply chain challenges and costs that you would in an era of physical commerce. So of course, if you can crack it, if you can offer say a digital, a, a digital experience using these new tools that you weren't able to do before, then you expand one, your uh, revenue potential, and you also expand um, the types of users that you're, you're drawing to your brand that may, that may have not been exposed to what you were doing before. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So fundamentally, it, it's a way for retailers, uh, it's an enabler for retailers to connect directly to their consumers instead of through third parties or some such thing, I presume. Exactly. So it's on your website. You just assume that a wallet is a new input for developers who are creating websites or creating any kind of online um, commerce interface. Because now if I can come, uh, if I can show up on your website and I have a Systems Plus NFT in my wallet, that means that um, I can chat with one of your lead engineers once a month um, because I hold your NFT and uh, that's part of the deal you're offering. Then that means that uh, you're offering a new line of digital services to me and maybe there's a new uh, um, a line of revenue to explore on that front as well. So it's a, it's a different internet experience where uh, you can you have complete ownership from a consumer perspective. I have complete ownership over my identity because I have complete ownership uh, or I have complete control over the private key that manages my crypto wallet, where I hold my cryptocurrencies, my NFTs, some of which are art, some of which are tickets, some of which are subscriptions, whatever the case may be. So it's a, you're, you're sort of flipping the equation around on how we've typically done online commerce. So tell me something, I, I would like your opinion on this. Um, how do you see crypto playing out in the next two years or five years? Um, but the caveat I'm going to throw here is that in the end, all currencies, et cetera, it's all about the belief system that people have in it. And enough people hmm. believe it, then it exists. And if enough people don't believe in it, it doesn't exist. So is crypto getting enough of a momentum that people believe in it and therefore it will, well, it does exist as we have seen it, but that it'll, it'll gain some ground, et cetera. So how do you see that playing out in the next two to five years? So it's, it's a very fair question. So I would um, sort of add another point to that is that fundamentally what blockchain technology allows you to do is it allows you, and, and of course the accompanying crypto assets allow you to do is to see the network in a different way than we're previously used to in web two. So in web two, if you wanted to build a social network or uh, even an e-commerce network for that matter, in many cases, you were, your starting point was your social graph. So you were bringing your actual social graph, your, um, your friends, your family um, into these online applications. And because uh, your social graph was now present in these networks where you spend your time, you were more incentivized to stick around um, within the same applications that all your friends and family and work colleagues were using. Mm -hmm. um, but in this sort of Web3 paradigm, we are seeding networks using crypto tokens that add a financial incentive for people to want a particular application or a platform to succeed. Now, on one hand, that's an interesting and different perspective to doing this. And in some cases, it does work. Like we've seen with Bitcoin, it's essentially magic internet money that because obviously the, the strength of the technology and the elegance of the system design, um, coupled with the fact that people are incentivized to bring in um, bring in more users to this system or to um, espouse the virtues of this system. Uh, just the fact that Bitcoin exists 
um, 13 years or 14 years later is amazing in itself. And is, it is one validation that this theory of network design can work. Now, whether that same sentiment or the same ethos can work when you're building other decentralized applications or other networks remains to be seen. And um, it's, it's often why it's very easy to criticize crypto as being just a sort of um, the fountainhead of a speculative mania. Um, because once the price of a certain crypto asset falls, we've commonly seen people's interest in that network or that application or that platform fall as well. So I think that's the challenge that needs to be sort of figured out is can we construct these systems in a different way where the uh, incentives don't taint the utility of the network just because uh, most people participating on a platform or in an NFT collection, for example, matter, are speculators. So I think that's that's primarily the what we have to figure out is we have to pass the speculators from the innovators and the users in this system. And I think that's the, the main challenge of uh, the, this entire space over the next few years. That's pretty, that's pretty interesting. Um, so, I mean, uh, you hear all these anecdotes about, you know, uh, people paying boatloads of money to have uh, the house next to a famous rapper, mm -hmm. in the metaverse, et cetera, all that kind of stuff, right? Hmm. Um, so with that said, uh, of course, there, there will be many anecdotes, you know, and that, there are real live examples where, you know, people like Elon Musk, this uh, tweet saying that we're not going to accept, uh, Tesla's not going to accept Bitcoin anymore, and all of a sudden Bitcoin value drops. So yeah. that seems to indicate that there is, if people can swing uh, these values, uh, you know, significantly. But having said that, do you do you see sort of uh, um, the the sort of the the, the big the big names, etc., really dictate the way uh, sort of this goes? Elon Musk, I I get it, it's a big name, but there are obviously a lot of other players in this, right? Or or do you uh, do you fully expect that there will be that network that net the network effect will actually take care of itself and just make it a more viable and stable uh, means or a currency. Um, so again, you, you, you correctly pointed out just the fact that people are buying and selling assets based on what Elon Musk tweets out. It's sort of one good indicator for how immature this market is and definitely how immature it can be. And of course, it's not helped by the fact that um, I guess the, the, the nature of these public blockchain platforms means that uh, anyone in this world can participate in these sort of in this in this economic landscape. Anyone in the world can use this technology set to build out new applications that may be completely useless, maybe completely speculative. Um, so uh, one, there there is a certain immaturity in the market um, from that perspective. Um, you have to consider the fact that a lot of a lot of what we've seen in the last year, especially when it comes to say met metaverse real estate and things like that, a lot of it is hype, uh, yeah. and a lot of it is companies experimenting to see if there's anything for real out there. So back to I guess the question you asked me at the start as to what the metaverse is, it's just next gen social platforms or next gen social economic platforms that are meant to be enjoyed in a three D setting. So for right now, um, buying virtual land. Uh, the, the analog you can draw is it's a way of reserving your space in the new Facebook or a way of buying a profile in the new Twitter. Um, and because we have, uh, for whatever reason, use land 
uh, I mean, one, one, for one, that point is just, it's almost ridiculous in itself. It's because I, it's like we have the chance, we had the chance to create these virtual worlds in any way that we thought of. And obviously being the sort of silly humans that we are, we literally rep rep replicated land as the best analog for how our digital spaces should look. So I'm long-term probably bearish on that, uh, in that why should we construct these spaces being constrained by the laws of physics when we can, we have the complete freedom of imagination to decide what these online spaces should look like beyond just like walking around on something that looks like what looks like outside your window. So um, I don't know, I think I lost track of your original question, but um, I guess my point is one, the market itself is a little immature. Um, and two is all of these brands that are experimenting with buying lands in the metaverse or like JP Morgan, for example, set up um, a digital office on this uh, metaverse platform called Decentraland. But this is just to sort of um, signify where the attention is. So these brands and these companies, one, want to appear hip. Uh, so they want to be where their users are, or where the sort of uh, general interest or the coolness of the tech world is, is um, swinging towards. I think that's swinging back though, I would fair to say now as prices drop across the board and uh, some of the hype um, diffuses in the market. So um, I would say just, one is just there's there's it's important to separate hype from reality and we are at the end of a, of a bull cycle so a lot of those actions or a lot of those headlines from the last year will prove to be just that just sort of uh, instant pr dopamine hits that ultimately will not see a sustained um action in that regard that's a fair point so then um do you see the metaverse becoming enough of a reality that it will replace physical stores when it comes to at least non consumable goods? Um, no, I don't, I don't think that's the case because uh, ultimately you're, it's just, it's just that, that the metaverse or that'll represent um, 3D social networks or web three social networks. So uh, you can answer that same question as to there's probably a limit to how much time you want to spend online or anyone wants to spend online, regardless of how great the experience is. That being said, um, I mean, you know, I know Mark Andreessen from Andreessen Horowitz has a, has a great way of contextualizing this. He calls it uh, reality privilege, where he says that uh, it's very easy for people in um, the developed worlds or uh, places where they don't have economic and social turmoil to say that, hey, people shouldn't spend so much time online. But for the vast majority of the world, the internet is probably, or in many cases, a better space uh, than your physical domain. Uh, both in terms of the economic opportunities it affords to you, as well as the potential for socialization, um, as well as just your maybe day-to-day -day experience and, and how you go about life. So um, you have to weigh it along those lines. And that's a view that uh, I subscribe to is that uh, it'll differ for different people and different parts of the world. Um, but it's hard to see everyone spending all of their time online. What I do think will happen and definitely has happened in the last 12 months, or maybe even the last half decade, um, if you account the sort of e-gaming space as well, is the way people value natively digital experiences or mm -hmm. natively digital assets. That I think has changed and will continue to change. Um, that's, the, that's the sort of biggest shift that I see is that people will sort of have a more intuitive understanding for why this digital objects should have value. Um, and that's because using a blockchain, you can sort of um, verify that something is scarce. You can uh, verify or you can authenticate the provenance or ownership of digital goods. And that opens up the, uh, the sort of opportunity to extract economic value from these digital goods as well. 
That's something we haven't been able to do. And that's something the NFT space in Web3 um, has opened up that I don't think is high. And I think we are very, uh, we are very much at the start of that, that shift. So um, I don't think, again, I don't think it means that everyone will start spending all of their time roaming around these virtual worlds. But I do think the way, uh, I do think the amount of uh, attention and economic output um, that the internet commands will exponentially increase just because we now have a way to represent digital goods via NFTs. Um, so then just want to have a follow-up on that. And is that, you know, if you look at e-com uh, today, mm. for example, right? They're yes. still buying goods which we physically can't touch, right? Um, and the metaverse takes you to another level where you actually sort of have theoretically can touch and feel it or whatever or in mm. your mind or you can through the 3D effects, et cetera, mm. right? Uh, but but uh, when it comes to uh, e-commerce, we're, we're still not able to physically touch the good, but we're still buying, uh, you know, just loads and loads of stuff uh, today as, as you sort of see it. So do you, so I presume the metaverse will just be more of an enabler to retailers, et cetera, or, or you know, maybe not a, maybe not a uh, sort of a replacement, but hmm. uh, so, 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 I mean, is, is that sort of the way you see it? And also how do you think, uh, retailers especially because those are the, the retailers are normally ones who touch the consumers first right so yes. how do you think we need to start thinking about uh, not only things like metaverse but also uh, um, the, the way they interact with consumers through this new web3 concept so the, the first way I would suggest anyone that wants to experiment or um, evaluate these uh, this sort of new design space would be is to start off um, understanding that people that there's a, a sort of new segment of consumers on the internet today. And those people are the ones with crypto wallets. Um, and they have crypto assets that allow them to interact with websites or allow them to interact with online applications in a way we couldn't before. So one is that, and two is specifically with regards to NFTs, um, there's many mental models you can use to um, sort of assess how to get involved in this space. Uh, because fundamentally an NFT is just a digital template that you can infuse any kind of meaning or any kind of media or economic value into. So for example, the same way that if you had a football team, if, if you supported a football team in the real world, you would buy a football jersey because mm -hmm. that's part of your identity and that's the way you want to flex your affinity towards this brand. Uh, in the same time, and it's in this, in this sort of sort of drawing a parallel to the virtual world, um, if we do end up interacting on these social platforms uh, where uh, we can uh, show off or um, I guess display our digital goods, in the old world, that really didn't mean anything because one, you were doing it within the walled gardens of um, say gaming platforms like Fortnite or social platforms like Facebook, where all those sort of quote unquote digital assets were owned by the platform you were using. But in Web3, ideally you will have um, an NFT that your say Chelsea Football Club offered you um, a, an NFT of uh, um, a digital jersey that you could carry with you across all the platforms that allowed you to connect with a digital wallet. Um, and that asset is uniquely yours. That asset in most cases is freely tradable on a secondary market, which means that there's constant price discovery of this digital asset you hold. Um, and the idea that you can own it and take it with you across the internet. So you can easily see why that uh, immediately would have 
uh, use uses for someone that was designing a loyalty program mm -hmm. where uh, a large percentage of the world's loyalty points are um, it's a it's a dormant asset because people don't know how to use people don't know what it's worth or people don't know how many uh, what their loyalty uh, points are actually worth how to exchange it how to redeem it how to value it um, and doing it via these crypto tokens on a 24/7 liquid market again there's pros and cons to that but just the idea that you have transparency and value of digital assets in a way that you didn't before, um, that's something that I think is worth exploring. So uh, when, you, when you talk about say mental models for NFTs, of course, digital merchandise is one of them. So just a way for brands to expand the range of their offerings, just the same way that they have, say, um, you can have a Nike pen, jersey, shorts, ball, et cetera. You can have digital versions of all of those. That again, it depends on people and how they want to value those things. I think where the start of um, this sort of uh, digital wave where uh, people understand that natively digital objects can hold value in the same way that our physical objects do. Um, so I expect that trend to accelerate. We've seen already people spend uh, boatloads of money on virtual items and cosmetic items in, in their uh, gaming forays. But I think right. that will become commonplace for the wider social internet as well. That's a, that's a great analogy. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I could sit here and keep asking you questions, but uh, we are out of time. So, Rao, thanks. Thanks, thanks so much. This has been an absolutely amazing discussion. Uh, I've been enlightened for sure, and I'm sure our listeners uh, will be as well. So, thanks. Thanks so much. Awesome. And um, if you just have any sort of, you know, uh, closing thoughts, I'd love to hear them. Um, and uh, we can wrap it up from there. Awesome. No, thank you so much. Uh, I hope it was useful. I hope your, um, your audience enjoys. And uh, if anyone does want to chat more about this stuff and work through the stuff, uh, you can find me like on Twitter. And of course, my newsletter is tigerfeathers.substack.com. So feel free to reach out if you ever want to jam on this stuff. Uh, thank you again for having me. Thanks. Thanks again, Raul. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. And uh, talk to you next time. Take care.